Hi, I'm Mark from Annandale, New Jersey. I'm Chris Nelson from South Dakota. I'm Jen from Oakland. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. Once in a while, our friends from the AV Club join us to tell us about stuff that we might have missed but is worth finding in the world of popular culture. Uh, Joining me are uh, the editor of the AV Club, Keith Phipps, and associate editor Tasha Robinson from their offices in Chicago. Keith, Tasha, welcome back to The Sound of Young America. Hello. And thanks for having us. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you. Uh, Keith, let's start with something uh, that you recommend. I had no idea that there was a 1933 version of Alice in Wonderland, uh, much less that it had Cary Grant, Gary Cooper, and W.C. Fields in it, uh, among other members of an all-star cast. Um, I, I guess this thing, this thing, I guess, is coming out on DVD to coincide with what I'm sure will be a very similar version of uh, Alice in Wonderland from uh, our friend Tim Burton. Um, Let's hear a a scene from the 1933 film. What a strange egg. Curious. Curiouser and curious. It's bigger than a chick. Why, it's... It's how a chick Don't stand there staring at me as if I were an egg. Tell me your name and your business. My name is Alice. It's a stupid enough name. What does it mean? Must a name mean something? Of course it must. My name means the shape I am. And a right handsome shape it is. With your name, you might be any shape. So, Keith, how come I've never even heard of this movie with Cary Grant and Gary Cooper and W.C. Fields and others? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, One, I, I don't know that it was hugely successful at the time, and it's not... Um, a la Wizard of Oz, all that, um, um, you know, did not have a, a legacy that, that got passed down from one generation to the next um, as uh, as parents passed it on to children. Uh, for another, you could see this movie and still not know that Gary Cooper, W.C. Fields, and Cary Grant are in it. Uh, they're all deep, deep in costume. Um, uh, Cary Grant plays the Mock Turtle, and W.C. Fields plays Humpty Dumpty. And they're all in costumes based on the original illustrations that accompanied uh, Lewis Carroll's book. And uh, they're very peculiar. They're very kind of grotesque. It's, it's kind of – it's strange because in some ways they try to soften – uh, some of the darker elements of, of Alice in Wonderland and through the, uh, through the looking glass. But, but Alice is very sweet. She's very happy the entire time. But a lot of the kind of uh, more disturbing um, elements of it kind of creep into the back door in, in this production design that uh, D- Dave Keir points out is, is more like a horror movie than, than, a, uh, than a fantasy. Um, it's a really interesting movie and not necessarily an entirely successful one, but, but just kind of, kind of fascinating it sounds a little bit Return to Ozzy. I remember having a lot of nightmares about Return to Oz as a kid. It's not something that's going to soothe kids uh, to sleep. That's that's for sure. I mean, for one thing, that there's the the famous uh, croquet scene um, in which their you know flamingos are used as mallets, and it's staged with real flamingos. Which thankfully, there's actually no 
nobody's hitting croquet balls with flamingos' heads, but doesn't mean the flamingos look very comfortable either. <laughs> I can hardly imagine they would be. Um, Tasha, uh, normally the uh, Oscar shorts part of the Oscar telecast is the absolutely most baffling part because, um, to put it frankly, uh, basically nobody ever sees short films except for you know, uh, the occasional festival goer and uh, maybe an agent who represents filmmakers. Um, But uh, this year, all of the Oscar shorts are uh, doing a little tour of theaters, and they're also available um, on some cable systems and uh, from digital platforms. Let's hear a scene from uh, one of the nominated animated shorts, uh, Wallace and Gromit, A Matter of Loaf and Death. Ah, lovely copper from it, but um, a slightly diesely aftertaste, perhaps. How's that breakfast coming on? Well done, lad. Very well done. Tasha, have you actually, I mean, is watching short films even part of your vocabulary since, since maybe you took a film class in college? Oh, sure. I mean, it's actually become a little more common for uh, over the past few years for the Oscar shorts to tour. And the programs are often incomplete. Sometimes the um, the touring programs can't get the rights to all of them. So I've actually been to theaters and seen, you know, touring Oscar shorts programs that are, you know, three of the five animated nominees and two of the live action shorts and three of the documentary shorts. And you just kind of have to fill in the blanks yourself. But um, this year, uh, Shorts International is actually uh, touring theaters with all five of the animated uh, nominees and all five of the live action nominees. And I don't see a lot of shorts normally. I mean, apart from Pixar doing the uh, short film before their full-length animated film every year, there's just not a whole lot of uh, market for it anymore. But I I actually enjoy it. I mean, it's sort of the equivalent of sitting down with a good collection of short stories. And of course, these are at least what uh, some people in Hollywood think the best of the year are. So you're usually guaranteed of getting, you know, at least a little variety and some interesting stuff. Did you see anything that that particularly jumped out at you as, as of note? Well, um, the two that stood out for me from the uh, the animated program, um, there's a Spanish short called The Lady and the Reaper, uh, which is about an old woman who um, is literally, she's on her deathbed, um, sort of having visions of joining her husband in heaven, and the reaper shows up for her, but she's pulled back at the very last second by a, a doctor, you know, who's literally standing over with her with the paddles, like yanking her physically back from the other realm. And it turns into this sort of battle royale between the Reaper and the Doctor, um, both of whom are sort of over the top, larger than life uh, characters. Um, there's also a much longer French piece called Logorama that's getting a lot of attention. Um, it sort of takes place in this this magical animated space where everything is made out of commercial logos. You know, the, the cats wandering the streets are Jaguar logos. All of the people are Michelin men or like the Pringles man or what have you. And Ronald McDonald enters into it as this uh, sort of psychopathic, gun-wielding uh, sociopath on a rampage. There's a lot of foul language. There's a lot of violence. It's very over-the-top. It's very comedic. The design is amazing. Um, it's too bad that the shirt doesn't really go anywhere. Keith, let's talk about uh, Johnny Cash. It's been a few years since he died, and uh, the sixth in his series of American recordings called American Six, Ain't No Grave, was just released on CD. Um, Let's start by hearing a a little bit from the record. There ain't no grave 
can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm gonna rise right out of the ground. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. So, Keith, there's been six of these uh, stripped-down recordings of an elderly Johnny Cash. Um, is this somehow different, or, or is it the good kind of more of the same? It's a little bit of both. I, I think the style is recognizable from the other collaborations with Rick Rubin, um, who in, in 1994 kind of uh, wrote in and uh, and gave Johnny Cash his career back by letting him uh, um, record these sort of stripped down songs, giving him good material to work with, giving him room to be Johnny Cash for the first time in a long time. And the series kind of begins with this career renaissance and it follows Johnny Cash um, through death and, and now beyond there's been two posthumous albums um this one in, in american five its predecessor and they're both taken from sessions when when johnny cash is 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 audibly at the end of his life this is the sound of a, of a, a sick man but um but a sick man with a very powerful spirit and, and still um deeply uh, affecting voice uh this is thematically very much a album about death and as so it's really quite effective and, and and haunting but it's also uplifting too there's a lot of evidence of of, of cash's faith there's a lot of songs on here about uh casting off burdens and ending suffering and and uh and, and having faith in, in a, a a better world than the one he's been living in in a life without sickness uh in a life without loneliness and it and it ends with uh aloha oe uh the famous Hawaiian song um, that ends with uh, uh, "We'll Meet Again," and uh, this is from a man who, who, to the end of his life, after he'd lost everything, still firmly believed that. And 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 it's uh, it's it's really quite a striking album, and I would highly recommend it. One of the only criticisms I've heard uh, of this album is that one of the byproducts of him having made these incredibly powerful stripped down recordings in his, um, you know, in his dotage is that you, you lose a little bit of the fuller picture of, of him as a, as a musical artist. Like you lose out on the part of him that was like a sly Fox kind of thing, or, you know, there's these other, there's these other notes that that you miss out on. Did, Did you, did, do you miss those on this record at all? Well, they're not too evident here, but but again, I think I think context is is uh, is important. Uh, certainly, the the puckish uh, Johnny Cash is not going to show up on on his deathbed, and that's okay. Um, and I don't know that his um, recordings with Rick Rubin have been uh, totally devoid of that either. I think there's a lot more playfulness on on the first couple of uh, albums that they did together. Tasha, I want to ask you about uh, something that you you sent me an email describing, and um, uh, it sort of boggled my mind. It's this graphic novel called Meanwhile, um, and I I feel like I not having not having one in my hands. I I feel like I I could only do a second rate job of recapitulating what you told me about it. So uh, tell me, like, how would you describe this thing? 
Well, essentially, it's a flowchart in book form um, that's a choose-your-own-adventure story. I mean, uh, people who uh, were kids in the 80s probably remember choose-your-own-adventures where you read a little text and then you have to make a choice. And based on your choice, you jump to one page or the other and the story continues, you know, with you having made that choice. And it leads you in one direction or the other. This is exactly like that, except in graphic form. Um, You start off, uh, there's a little boy, he walks into uh, an ice cream store. Um, and the guy behind the counter asks him if he wants vanilla or chocolate. You get to make the choice. Um, If you choose vanilla, you go off in one direction following a line, and pretty much nothing happens. You go home and tell your dad, well... Got some, ate some vanilla ice cream today. The end. <laughs> if you choose chocolate, you launch on this epic adventure that jumps from page to page. Um, the designer uh, is a graphic novelist out of Oakland named Jason Shiga, and he's actually come up with this very uh, neat style where there are a series of little tabs sticking out of the book. And you follow uh, the lines across those tabs from page to page. He has uh, the story build as more than 3,800 different story possibilities as you're sort of following all of these different threads through the book you know, being faced with choice after choice of what to do. And the conclusions you reach can get really outlandish i mean you can destroy all life on earth except yourself you can you know meet yourself time traveling through time you can become your own father it just it gets very very complicated and it's it's just sort of a fascinating artifact i mean it's one of those things where you in a way it gets frustrating um because there are so many loops and there are so many options um but they all tend to kind of lead back in the same direction so i i mean i found myself just spending hours paging through it looking for new options looking for new choices to get off to pages I hadn't seen before. What, what was the toughest choice for you to make? Was it vanilla or chocolate or, or something oh, no. deeper oh, in the story? I, the day I have a, a difficulty deciding whether to eat vanilla or chocolate ice cream is the day I lie down and die. No, um, <laughs> it's more choices like do you press the button that's going to kill everybody on earth except you? Or, you know, do you walk out and go home? I mean, one direction leads to tragedy, but it's a lot more interesting. Um, the other one might lead back to where you came from before or might lead you to utopia. You just you, you never know until you get there. Well, uh, Keith Phipps, Tasha Robinson, thank you so much for uh, guiding us once again through the dangerous shoals of pop culture that's not worth paying attention to and to the golden shores of uh, the good stuff. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Keith Phipps is the editor and Tasha Robinson, the associate editor of the AV Club. You can find them online at avclub.com and in the pages of The Onion in uh, newsstands across America. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music, and indeed all of our music, uh, provided to us by Dan Wally. You can visit us online at MaximumFun.org and email me directly, personally, at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time, right here on The Sound of Young America. Production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.